Our reading this morning is from Daniel chapter 1, starting at the first verse. Daniel's training in Babylon. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Beltajazar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the God whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians 
and enchanters of his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And now those who are younger, I think you've got activities you're going to head off and do. Have a great time. If you are staying and you've got a Bible nearby, keep it open at Daniel 1 as we begin to look at this together. Now, every child joins a family history and every good family likes to, to plan for the future. So, so kids grow up hearing, hearing about the family history and, and being advised about the future. You, you can imagine the kind of things that are said. Uncle Jeff's a funny one. Absolutely minted. Loads of money. He never spends any of it. Don't be like him when you grow up. Or, or Granny Jean, she had a tough life. She, she lost Grandpa when the, the kids were still young, but she always put food on the table and a smile on your face and everyone just loved her. You want to be like her when you grow up. It's what families do and, and you know why? Because it's just about the saddest thing imaginable to see a child grow up to be a fool. And look, I don't mean, I don't mean naive. Some of us are, are just like that, aren't we? And there's worse things. And neither do I mean less gifted intellectually. Uh, intellect really isn't everything. No, I mean a fool. I mean the child who, who grows into the man or the woman who consistently make willful and unwise choices. And we want children to grow up to be wise. It's, it's what your parents wanted for you. And it's it's good to know is what the God of the Bible wants for people as well. And, and one of the places you discover that is in this book, Daniel. Daniel is someone who stands out as having wisdom, living a wise life. Someone will say of him later in the book, Daniel, I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have outstanding wisdom. Now, God in this book wants to show us the wise life. And it's a life that can handle money and politics and ethics tricky relationships, and even living in a world that can be frightening at times. I think it'll be a great book for us to go through as a church family. And God does that. He, he shows us this wise life, much as we would do, by, by showing us how some people acted in history. And then they anticipated the future as well. We're at the beginning in chapter one, and even in the first two verses, the big picture is set up for us. Uh, there's a bit of history, there's a bit about God, and then there's a media report as well. The history, well, that's God's people in Judah, and they've fallen to the superpower of the day, the, the Babylonian Empire. The bit about God, that comes in verse 2, where we read, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim over to Babylon. You could read other historical books of the time, books like Isaiah, that, that had said if, if God's people continue to ignore him, if they, if they continue to be immoral, to, to be foolish, then disaster would eventually come from God. And for the majority of the people at the time, they heard that, but they, they didn't believe it. They thought it was just religious mumbo-jumbo. But here we are at the beginning of Daniel, and things have worked out. The disaster has come just the way the mumbo-jumbo said. And then there's the media report. Uh, the press always like a good picture, and it's, it's there in verse 2 that the temple in Judah has been looted and, and the treasures taken far away to the temple of another god in Babylon. That's the big picture. Uh, but 
follow the story and much as we're finding with the coronavirus, na national tragedy often involves personal anguish. Uh, lives are ruined. Uh, people are distanced. And we pick that up, don't we, in, in verse 3 with Daniel and three of his friends and we zoom in on them as they're, as they're taken into exile. Now, in some ways you could say, well, well, things sort of work out okay for them. They're good-looking guys. They're smart and intelligent. And they get picked for a kind of graduate scheme. They're, they're to be taught, verse 4, the literature of the Babylonians and then enter the king's service. And you notice the perks they're being given. Verse 5, the, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And that is quite something. And you can imagine, can't you, if it were possible, the letter that might be written home to, to worried parents. Dear mum and dad, how are you? I'm missing you and the dog, but things are going well here, don't worry. The accommodation's great and we've started studying. The, the classrooms are incredible and the library is amazing. And they've even told us that we'll be guaranteed a top job at the end of this. I think any parent who's been trying to navigate away for their family through a crisis like this might, might just breathe a sigh of relief knowing that their children have, will have landed on their feet until they turn over the page of the letter and read what's written on the back and it goes on like this we've actually been given an allowance from the king himself and, and I know it's, it's very generous but I've been thinking about it and I think it's going to be a conflict of interest to me so I'm going to say to them that I don't want it. And I think any parent might shout out, look, don't be a fool, just take the gift. But that's verse 8, isn't it? Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Now here's one of the questions you've got to wrestle with. If Daniel is meant to be the example of someone living the wise life, then then why does he start off by doing something that just seems so foolish? You picked up that, that Daniel is going to be taught the, the language and literature of Babylon, but you read carefully and you realise there's more than that going on. I don't know if you, if you had a nickname when you're growing up, uh, maybe back at school. Mine wasn't very original. I was always David at home, but for my friends, I was always Toddy. That's what they called me. I was talking to a couple of other friends this week, and even as they've grown up, one of them still has a, has a pet name for the other. And you know what's happening when friends do that? It's, it's an affectionate way of saying, look, I, I want to give you an identity. I want to give you a name that expresses you're my friend, that you sort of belong to me. It's great when friends do that. Verse 7, Daniel's been given a new name, but it's less affectionate. Daniel's name meant... Israel's God is my judge. His new name, Belteshazzar, meant Babylon's God will protect him. And you get what's going on for these young men. There's going to be education. There's promised wealth. There'll be free lunches from the king himself. It's just you suspect that back then, much as today, there's no such thing as a free lunch. This isn't a Babylon that's going to be cruel and oppressive yet, but this is a Babylon that wants to shape your identity. It wants you to think just the way they do. And I think that's what Daniel wisely understands. He, he's not going to be above compromise where he can. He, he's going to work hard in this different culture. He'll be polite and persuasive. But I think he's realised 
that if you go all in with Babylon, Babylon will take you over. And if he doesn't make some kind of stand now, he'll never make any kind of stand. And that's what he does. Uh, the issue he lands on is the food from the, the king's table. And there, there's reasons for that. But, but beyond it, I think it's his way of saying to them and probably to himself, look, I'll work hard here. I'll change my name. I'll learn your stuff. But you can't have my ultimate loyalty. I've already decided that belongs somewhere else. I heard the story of, a, of an older office manager working in a company and a, a younger department boss came in above him and in the early days, a phone call came for the, the new boss. The, the older man told him uh, and the younger boss said, tell them I'm not here today. Uh, to which the older man replied, tell them yourself. And he handed him the phone. The younger man took the call and when it was over, he was furious. He said to the man, don't ever do that again. And the older man said, well, don't ever ask me to lie for you again. And I'll be honest, I don't think you want me to lie for you because if I can lie for you, then I can also lie to you. And I don't think you want staff who lie to you. I don't know what you make of that. If you could ever imagine yourself saying something like that. But I reckon that's a man who decided a long time before the kind of person he was going to be and where his loyalty would lie. And it's that kind of thing that's going on with Daniel in verse 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He'll be a loyal worker, but he won't be unthinkingly all in with the way Babylon thinks and operates. He's decided whatever the risk to his career, or his reputation, and as we'll see, even his life, he'll live loyal to God first. And without being too dramatic, it's the same choice you and I face. How will you live life? How will you live at work or at school or with your relationships as you face the choices in the current crisis? Daniel says... It, if you want a life of wisdom, if you, if you want any chance at being truly wise, then resolve loyalty, resolve to, to trust God first of all. Let your other choices be shaped by this first choice. Is that a wise move? Why not think about it for a moment? Now we're going to sing another song together. And then when we come back, let me show you some reasons I think the Bible would say it really is the wise choice. Oh, do sit down again. No, I said I, I, would, I would give you some reasons. I think the Bible says Daniel is being really wise. Uh, there is the wise choice to resolve loyalty to God first. Let me give you three briefly. And the first one's this. It's wise because... Because God's always ruling, even in unseen ways. I don't know if you've heard the term ultra-high net worth individuals. I'm told they're, they're people who, who've got investable assets of more than $30 million. That's just a, a huge amount of money. Apparently, it's good for your CV if you're, if you're someone who networks with, with those kind of people. And you can kind of understand why. But they'll be viewed as, as the real influencers in the world, the, the world changers. And you ask the question, look, who's the 
ultra high net worth individual in Daniel 1. Uh, and history looks like it's shaping up with one very obvious answer. It's Nebuchadnezzar. His army and his, his military commands, his officials and his cultural commands. If you want to ask, or if you ask the question, who do you want to be networking with? The answer seems obvious. But I think a writer would say, look, not quite. There is someone else that you need to see. It's there in verse 2 where it says, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim. Or there again in verse 9, now God had caused the official to show favour. Or down in verse 17, to these four young men God gave. Our English versions uh, translate those words slightly differently, but in each case the Bible really uses the same word. It's kind of like this, God gave Nebuchadnezzar victory. God gave Daniel favour in the official's eyes. God gave Daniel and his friends knowledge and understanding. Nobody saw it happening. Nobody was aware of it going on. Daniel didn't even see it. But it's an encouraging thought, isn't it, to those who are trusting God. Because this says, look, no leader of an empire, no bureaucrat in a government, no teacher in a university, no, no virus that is spreading, nothing that is impacting your life operates outside of the hidden rule of God. And that even if bad things happen, things are never out of control. And, and while the wise don't always know the details of God's plan, the wise have reason to trust that God always does have a plan. Daniel says, Here's why you want to be loyal to God, because he's always ruling, even in hidden ways. And here's the second reason. It's because God graciously gives the help that we really need. The Babylonians have the bragging rights in this story, don't they? You, you can imagine them. Uh, our army's better than your army. Our king's better than your king. The, uh, the people of Judah have been humiliated and our writer hints for us that, that they deserved it. It was God's judgment. But he says more, verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And you realise the Babylonians really did have the bragging rights. Our army's better than your army. Our king's better than your king. Our God is better than your God. I mean... I mean, his stuff is just being used to, to decorate the temple of our God. And you realise it's not just the people. God's reputation has been trashed. That's how history looks like it's working out. But then you stop and think. Because if our writer's correct and, and God is ruling even in hidden ways, then he's allowed this to happen. It, if it was God who gave his people to be shamed on the world stage in this way, then it's also God who gave his temple to be emptied of its splendour and his reputation to be shamed on the world stage. And that's a strange thing when you think about it. Because it's saying, here's a God when his people are faced with the judgment they deserve. He, he doesn't write them off. He, he doesn't cancel them. No. No, he seems to endure their judgment with them. And he sort of even goes into exile alongside them. 
I mean, what kind of God is that? What kind of a God who's supposed to be powerful would, would empty himself of his splendor and be shamed on the world stage? Was the God you meet all through the Bible, the God you meet in Daniel, you realize it's the same God you meet in Jesus Christ. There's no difference between the Old and New Testament in that regard. If you were with us last week at our service, we, we said some words together. They're, they're from the New Testament. They were, they were written by the Apostle Paul writing to a church in Philippi. And he said this, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In, instead, he, he made himself nothing. It, literally, he, he emptied himself. But not just his temple, this time he, he emptied himself of his splendor. He took the nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He, he was held up to public shame for all the world to see. Why would he do that? Well, the Bible says so he could become the saviour of all those who, who trust him. And you think about that. And you understand what that means, that here's a God. When you're faced with the consequences of the things you've done wrong, says, says he won't write you off. He won't just cancel you. No, it says he, he came to be with his people. He, he really did share their shame. God and Jesus on the cross. But more than that, he took on himself the judgment that we deserve so that he could offer forgiveness. And you might wonder at some point as you think about these things, you, you might wonder and ask yourself, is it, is it the wise thing in life with, it, with all the things I can do? Is it, is it wise to go all in with God? Is it, is it too risky? But understand as you ponder that, the Bible says that this God in Jesus has gone all in for you. He gave his life. He endured your shame so that he could give you the help that you need. And, and that's why it's wise. That's why it's wise to be loyal to him. Actually, more than loyalty, that's why the wise love him. And here's the final thing. The final reason I just want to show you, and it's, it's that God has planned the end of the story. The final line of our chapter, it doesn't seem like much, does it, as you read it? And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. One of the reasons I like history is because it's already happened. You know how things are going to work out. And when you're asking, was Daniel wise in what he did? Uh, well, this bit, this final line is really helpful for that because, first of all, Cyrus he wasn't a Babylonian king, he was Persian. Uh, and I, I think our writer's point is, look, Babylon seemed huge, it seemed impressive and unstoppable. But little Daniel, little wise Daniel, he outlasted Babylon. Make the wise choice like him. And secondly, in the first year of Cyrus, the reason that date's important is because in the first year of Cyrus, he issued a command and and said that God's people could return to Judah and they could rebuild the temple. And what's fascinating is all the treasure for the temple, it was all brought back from Babylon to Jerusalem. It was all counted back in. 
I don't know what you make of that. Was it just a fluke of history? Was it just the, the whim of a king? Or was it God ruling even in hidden ways? A God who's already planned the end of the story. And the New Testament will say a similar kind of thing, that this God who in Jesus suffered shame and death before the eyes of the world, who was empty of his splendour, God, God planned through him to defeat even death and bring him back, restore him to splendour. And Easter Sunday, he raised him up and he said that one day he will bring back with him all who trust Jesus. They'll all be counted in. His treasure that he's recovered. You, if you're trusting him. So how do wise people live? What do wise parents teach their children? Well, Daniel says it's to resolve to be loyal, to trust God first because he rules even in hidden ways. He gives the help that we really need. And he's already planned the end of your story. This is the God that will keep meeting as we go through Daniel in the weeks to come. We're going to sing our final uh, hymn together in a moment. This would be a good time if you've got youngsters and they're doing their own activities to, to bring them back in uh, to join with the rest of us for this final hymn. And look, you may still be new to reading the Bible. And you might still wonder, look, why, why does God give us stories like this? Stories like Daniel. And I think the answer in part is, look, to show us in history. To give us words that show us in history what God's like and, and how he operates so that you and me in our particular point of history know we really can trust him. We've got words written down for us, stories to read, to encourage us to keep going with the things that we'll face. And that's kind of what our final hymn speaks about as well. So as the music begins, let's stand together and sing it. <laughs> 